You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Okay, we're looking at the, the um, Lord's Prayer. Does somebody need a catechism? Is that, no? We're looking at the Lord's Prayer, and we've gone through the first, well, the preface and the first two petitions, and we're looking at the third today. So the question is, what do we pray for in the third petition? And you'll know this because you know the Lord's Prayer. But in the third petition, which is, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, we pray that God, by His grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to his will in all things, as the angels do in heaven. So it's fairly comprehensive, and there are some several things to consider. We, we do need to consider what it means when it says God's will, and that is typically understood twofold. <clears throat> it's what theologians call his decretive will, and his preceptive will, or as I was taught, the prescriptive will. Either one of those are fine. Precept from precept, his, his revealed precepts, or prescriptive, his prescriptions. So we consider God's will this, in this twofold way, decretive and preceptive. His decretive will has to do with his sovereign decrees that were made before the foundation of the world. Um, we've looked at that in an earlier question near <clears throat> the beginning of the catechism. What are the decrees of God? The wise, free, and holy acts of the counsel of his will, whereby from all eternity he has for his own glory unchangeably foreordained whatsoever comes to pass in time. So that's his decree. Anything that happens, especially concerning angels and men, he has decreed from the depths of eternity. It's often described as his will of providence, and the reason for that is because he brings it about in the course of his providence. You remember another question earlier on, how does he execute his decrees? Well, he executes them in the works of creation and providence. So he has this purpose, this plan that he's formed from all eternity, and in time it unfolds in creation and providence. So we call it God's will of providence because it is brought about by his providence. David says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. So he does have a plan. He does have a purpose. In him we have obtained an inheritance, says Paul, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, not some, but all things according to the counsel of his will. So there's his will, his decretive will, according to which he works all things. His preceptive will, by contrast, has to do with what he has revealed in Scripture for us to believe and obey. And we see this distinction, particularly in Deuteronomy 29. The secret things, his decretive will, belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed, his preceptive will, 
belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. And of course, we also see this here, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So these are the commandments that Christ has revealed. So we have these twofold understanding of the will of God. So in this petition, when we say, thy will be done, and we're looking at both of these, and we're going to unpack this a little bit, any questions at this point on, these, on this distinction between these two? Alan? The one, the receptive will, is a subset Yeah, the, the question is, is the preceptive will a subset of the decretive will? I would say you're right. I think that's a nice way to put it. Um, yeah, because everything's decreed by God, even the things that he's revealed. So you're absolutely right. Even the secret things and, and the revealed things. You're right. Well done. Yeah. Even though it's a subset, however, it is front and center, you know, in the, in the scriptures. Anybody else before we move on? Okay. Okay, well then in this petition, we're looking at God's decreed of will. It is implied and it's included. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a glad affirmation of the sovereignty of God who decreed all things. Yes, Lord, you're infinitely wise. You're absolutely sovereign. You have your purpose from the depths of eternity. May it be done. <laughs> you're affirming what he has decreed. Because you're trying to think God's thoughts after him. That's the goal. As sinners, we have contrary thoughts. As believers, we're to have harmonious thoughts. We ask him to make us able and willing to submit to his decree of will cheerfully. That's not always easy. If we're called to suffer, if we're called to disappointment, we are to submit to it knowing that he is wise and he works all things together for our good. Even as Christians, we have a hard time with this, I think. I do. Remember in Acts 21, it says, We and, all, and the people urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. <clears throat> Since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. Let the decretive will of the Lord be done. It's a glad affirmation of his will. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer in this third petition, in part, we are affirming his sovereign decree. It also presupposes, because we have to ask for it, that we are by nature prone to repine and murmur against his providence. I don't like this. <laughs> and of course, one of the examples we always use is traffic, you know, the big sanctifier. You're behind somebody who's going, <laughs> going 25, going the speed limit, and... Um, you get frustrated, and we are not to be doing that. Our propensity to complain is especially acute when we're called to endure hardships and afflictions. Why me? Why now? Why this? Why so severe? And so forth. And that's natural. We all go through that, some of us more than others, but it's a temptation to all of us. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. He, he delivered them from Egyptian bondage and they're wanting to go back. It's just this propensity to complain. And all of us struggle with it. Some who never think to thank God for good weather 
will curse him if a storm causes injury or loss. Isn't that true? You know. Oftentimes we wrongly suppose that God owes us happiness, prosperity, good health, other temporal blessings. He doesn't owe us a thing. As we'll see in the fourth petition, we have forfeited our right to all the outward blessings of this life. We don't deserve anything. So if we get a ray of sunshine, that is a gift from heaven. In this petition, therefore, we're asking implicitly that God give us true contentment with his decrees and his providences, whatever he sends. And I think Paul is a perfect example. Notice what he said. When he was converted, it was not easy for him to accept God's decrees and providences, but he learned how to deal with prosperity and adversity, right, over time. Even the Apostle Paul. So we learn to deal with God's providences and his decrees. He's teaching us how to submit cheerfully. He's answering the petition. It doesn't happen all at once. We are enabled to patiently endure suffering, disappointment, hardship, bereavement, so forth. And this is one of the greatest testimonies to the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ in this world. The way that Christians die. Right? We die well. That's a great testimony. Our prayer implies that he's infinitely wise, that he is unlimited in his power, and we are possessed of a godly resignation to his will. That's not just some stoic belief in an aloof God. It is a godly resignation. Thy will be done. Not my will, but your will. And that was the example of Jesus. So, any questions on this particular part? Laura? Is this just individual? Yeah, the question, is it individual or is it public? I think it's both. That we submit cheerfully to God's providence for me individually, and we submit to God's providence for us corporately. Our country is experiencing some very difficult problems, right? Well, it's easy for us to repine and murmur against his providence in that. Lord, I, I don't like what's going on. We don't have to like it. We don't have to agree with it. We don't have to support it. But we do have to respect our leaders as appointed by God and do what we can as citizens to bring about good and submit to his providence, you know? We have to cheerfully submit to his providence, whatever he brings. That is the responsibility of a Christian. Uh, things that are out of our control, you know. Did you want to follow up? <laughs> I can see the brain working. Right. Are we not put here also to contend for his righteousness? Absolutely. Now the question is, uh, God has told, put us here to contend for righteousness, especially when things are being promoted that are unrighteous. Absolutely. According to our place and calling. So I don't go down to the White House and tell them to do what I want them to do. I, in my place and calling, I'm allowed to vote. I can express my opinion. I can publish my opinion and so forth. 
But we are to be law-abiding citizens doing all we can for the sake of righteousness. <laughs> Pete? Yeah, I, yeah the, the God's permissive will and God's effective will. I Personally, I'm not a fan of that language because it's... I understand what you're saying, permissive, but it almost sounds as if God's kind of stepping back and just allowing things to happen rather than he is intimately involved in every detail. So I, I prefer the decretive. You know, this is what he's decreed, like it or not. Um, I know the uh, confession uses the language of permissing, so it's not wrong. Um, permitting the angels to fall into sin and damnation, you know, that kind of thing. But again, I don't, I don't particularly like it that much because it does indicate, at least to me, that he's not actively involved. Laura or Jim? Yeah. Absolutely. The question is, is there not a forum like Jeremiah to speak publicly to the powers that be? Well, one is the pulpit. The pulpits need to be proclaiming the truth of God's word. Two, for example, this past General Assembly, the PCA sent letters, I think, to many government officials condemning this practice of transgender surgery for children. We thought it was such an event of extraordinary importance that we wanted to speak, so we did. Yeah, so that kind of thing does happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ruthann? Yeah, I think uh, she's making the distinction between being an activist and active. <clears throat> I think that can be very helpful, depending on how you define activist and act. But yeah, I think that's helpful, that we should be active with the kingdom of Christ preeminent, but not just be an activist for some specific side cause. Yeah, that's helpful. Julia? Right. He's not asking me to do anything that he didn't do himself. Good point. Where he himself is our example in submitting to the will of the Father. Very good. And invites us along in that in, in friendship and intimacy and suffering. Yeah. And that's, over the years I've really wrestled with this. Like God's will this is very hard. Suffering is hard. That's what he's become back. Because Jesus took all of that suffering that we have on himself. Yeah. And, and is our example. That's right. 
Yeah, the point being that Jesus himself submitted to God's will, the creed of will, cheerfully and willingly, and godly resignation. So yeah, he's a great example. He's our perfect example. Jim? Right. Right. Yeah. No. Christ did push back on the leadership. Don't forget. Now he was a prophet. <clears throat> so everything prophets in Christ did, you know, we have to understand where our place and calling fits in there. Um, but yeah, you're right. Exactly. Jesus did push back and challenge the officials when they were being unrighteous. So yeah, it's a good example. Oh, I'm sorry, Melissa. Right. It is a gift. Right. Yeah, resignation is not a negative thing. It does bring joy because if we're able to submit to God's will like this, trusting in his wisdom and his fatherly goodness, that is joyful. My joy is not dependent upon outward circumstances. I can endure whatever. I can be thrown in a dungeon after being lacerated on my back and sing hymns at midnight. <clears throat> you know, so that's, that's truly an answer to this prayer. Okay, well then contentment is one of those rare jewels in the treasure of salvation. Thomas Watson said, a contented Christian does not take his cross. You know, there were some in the early centuries who wanted to be martyrs. So they intentionally put themselves in a position where they'd be killed. They took their cross. A contented Christian does not take his cross, but is willing to take that which God chooses and is content with the kind and the duration of the cross. He will wait for God's providence to remove it, but never force the door to escape from it. Doing anything, sacrificing everything just to get out from underneath the cross. That's not the contentment of a Christian. So this petition has to do with gratitude for even the smallest of blessings, a ray of sunshine, and patience under the smallest crosses, 25 miles an hour on Hudson Aurora Road. Right? I shouldn't call that a cross. That's obeying the law. But for me, it's, yeah. I don't agree with them 25 miles an hour, but I have to obey. It's the humble spirit that is content, so our prayer implies the cultivation of a true Christ-like humility, as it's already been said. This is Christ-like. He is our paradigm. And it's infused by the spirit. It is a gift. It's not natural. It's a flower that doesn't grow by nature in a uh, poisoned uh, piece of land. It's a fruit that Christ gives through his spirit, and it grows up only from the root of the new birth. This is not something you'll find in a non-believer. I don't care how refined and polite he or she might seem. The non-believer can't do anything that is good, and the unbeliever has no fruit of the spirit. There is no true contentment. The wicked are like the restless sea. There's no peace. Doesn't matter who they are. But godliness with contentment is great gain. 
It's something, as we said earlier, that lies within the heart. It's not dependent or sustained by things that are from without. It is spiritual. It's based upon a spiritual foundation. For example, you sense the love of God for you, Romans 5. The Holy Spirit has poured out his love in our hearts. It overflows. When you believe and embrace the idea that God loves you, and that nothing in this world could ever separate you from his love in Christ Jesus, that's joy that nobody can take away. doesn't matter how deep the dungeon is. So it's a spiritual contentment. It is a settled disposition. It is not a temporary emotion, which even an unbeliever might feel, because its foundation is the immutable God. Contentment. I believe that he's decreed all things, that he is a God of love, that he is infinitely wise, knows the beginning from the end, and I can trust him. Even Aristotle, if I can quote an unbeliever, says, A pale face may look red when it blushes, but a ruddy face is red constantly in its complexion. Now, why would I say that? Well, because it shows the difference between a settled disposition, a ruddy face that's red always, and a temporary emotion, a pale face, a white face that blushes in the moment, right? It looks red temporarily, but it's not really red. The ruddy face is red through and through. That's what ruddy means. King David was ruddy. He was a ginger. Jason never ceases to let me forget that. King David, keep your life free from the love of money and be content. Why? Because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. God is with you. Remember what we said about the three pillars, his presence, his purpose, and his providence. He's with me. He's for me. He works all things together for good. So any questions on contentment? Okay. So that's his decretive will. Then in this petition, God's preceptive will is at the forefront. It is the standard of our moral obligation. In summary, it's the Ten Commandments. Of course, that's fleshed out in Scripture. Uh, We pray that the decretive will be done by God and that his preceptive will be done by man. That's inherent in the third petition. We not only submit to God's decretive will, but we're to obey his preceptive will. Again, this is what we're asking in this petition. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So there you have his preceptive will summed up in the two great commandments. This is why we're here. This is how we glorify God and enjoy him forever. As Melissa said, it brings us joy when we're resigned to his will. True joy. It presupposes, as the other one, so this one, our natural inability and indisposition to obey his will. There is an inability in all mankind to obey God's will. And there is an indisposed. We're indisposed. We don't want to obey him. We like sin. (laughs) We like disobedience. There is a season of pleasure in disobedience. 
sin has darkened the mind and blinded the eyes and corrupted the heart so that we're totally depraved. And it's not just a lack. We're utterly averse and disinclined to obey. We're wholly inclined to do the will of the flesh and of the devil in gratifying our desires. That's who we are by nature. And there is no greater indictment in Scripture or anywhere else than this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You will not find a more severe indictment than that. That describes you and I by nature to a T. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart, it goes right down to the core of your being, was only evil continually. So the unbeliever, again, the classic example, helping the old lady across the street, that's evil. Why? Because the intentions of his heart are wicked. The reason he's doing it is for his self-aggrandizement. It's only evil continually. And the corollary is the holy and righteous commands of God are grievous and burdensome to man. We don't like them because they're holy. And that's who we are by nature. So in this petition, we're asking God, because of this, to enable us to obey. Rob? The old lady? Or the old man? Doesn't matter. Sure. Yes. The unbeliever, no matter what he does, it's sin. The believer can choose sin or righteousness. So basically working, like helping the lady across the street to please God, that would not be sin. Right. But doing it for like, oh, I Right. Yeah, helping the old lady cross the street to please God is good. <clears throat> doing it for your own aggrandizement is bad. But let me add to this. Even our best works are imperfect and defiled in the sight of God. The only reason they're accepted is because of Christ. If you can figure that out, please let me know. How do we please God always? It's a struggle. This is... This is learning how to be godly. It's a struggle. I don't do it. I'm selfish by nature. I'm proud. I have wicked desires. And so again, even our best works, the best day, helping that lady across the street, defiled. So the only reason we can expect God to accept it as something good is because it goes through the mediation of Jesus Christ. He alone. Thank God that he's up there interceding for us, or otherwise neither you nor I'd be accepted. Well, because we know that God has decreed and covenanted to give us perseverance and eternal life. This is what helps us not to become despairing. We know that we're joined to Christ We know that he constantly intercedes for us. We know that his spirit and his seed abides in us and that nothing will ever separate us from Christ. So you don't look at yourself. 
That's the key. You take your eyes off of yourself and look at Christ, right? The unbeliever can't but look at himself. He looks within to try to find some peace and comfort. He'll never find it. We can find peace and comfort in Christ. That's what the public worship is supposed to do, to realign our thinking every week to help us look outward at Jesus Christ. That's helpful. Yeah, John... He must increase, I must decrease. Yeah, that's helpful. John understood as the forerunner that Jesus is preeminent. He needs to be preeminent. There's no hope without him. Everything we do is unacceptable without him. What we do here, even now. The best sermon I could ever preach is filled with sin. And God won't use it unless Christ is interceding. So it just shows us the importance of his... Sacrifice and his intercession, Gretchen. Um, the idea of taking the No, that's not possible. Um, The the point is that we are to be looking at ourselves for self-examination, right? I think what you're saying, we do have to examine ourselves. We're commanded to do so. But you cannot look too much at Christ. It's not possible. And you know that saying they said, you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good? That's a lie. That's crazy. What are you talking about? That's our goal. Set your mind on things above. We're commanded in Colossians 3.1. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth, including yourself. So it's important for us to keep our eyes focused on Christ. Turn your eyes on Jesus. You know, Ruthann? Yeah. Yeah, that's it's true. I mean, if we're looking at Christ for the wrong reasons, that's possible. Um, so, hyper Calvinism, I think you mentioned, where well, God ordained whatsoever, so why should I evangelize? He's going to call the elect anyway. I'm not going to tell anybody about Jesus. Well, that's not right because you're not following the preceptive will of God. You're just trusting in His decretive will. And foregoing the preceptive will. He commands us to tell people about Jesus. So, Rob? That's all right. Yeah, the question is, is it wrong to view ourselves as vessels of the Spirit and then ask for further filling? That's right. That's good. Because... He fills us in measure. He filled Jesus without measure, but he fills us in measure as we're capable of enduring it. So he fills us and we ask for more filling. Part of sanctification is increasing our capacity for good works and the Holy Spirit. If, if you want to call that discontent, go ahead. 
I would say that's a godly discontent. I hear what you're saying, though. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, okay. Um, the, yeah. Oh, wrong button. So the law is spiritual. It cannot be agreeable to those who are carnal, fallen man, who is determined from birth to do what is pleasing to himself. He pursues not what he ought to do. He pursues really what he wants to do. Helping the old lady or the old man across the street, that's what he wants to do. If he's traveling, he wants to go 20 miles an hour down Hudson Aurora Road. He's keeping the law, right? It's 25. He wants to go 20. If it goes down to 10 miles an hour and he wants to go 20, he's going to break the law because he doesn't want to go 10. So he can keep the law outwardly by going 20 in a 25. But he will break the law if that goes down to 10. And he's keeping that law not because of his heart, not because of the glory of God, not because he's obeying the law, but because that's what he wants to do. And that's what we're saying here. He pursues not what he ought to do, but what he wants to do. Satan works hard. Oh, I'm sorry, Don? Yeah, going back, um, when you consider government unlawful, I'm thinking of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Hitler. Was that, was that a sin that he went to do what he did? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a godly man. He uh, participated in a conspiracy to assassinate Hitler. I would say that it was wrong to plan to assassinate, but I think it was right to push back, as Jim was saying. How you do that is important, yeah. So, I mean, I know there's all kinds of variables and it's complicated, um, but if I would, if I'd take it in our context, if I disagreed with a president and I didn't like him, it would be wrong for me to go to Washington and try to assassinate him, that, that would be wrong. It's not my place in calling to remove him from office in that way. It's my place in calling to vote. I'm given that privilege and that right, so I do it. I try to persuade my neighbors and my friends similarly, you know. There's all kinds of ways, but that, I think, would be wrong. Eric? Yeah, a just war. If there's a just war, take them out. Yeah. Um, public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. Then those three ways we can take life and do it justly. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think the pulpit bears a lot of responsibility. Um, and of course, as we know, I mean, many times in church history it has failed. Um, and it's not easy, but we need to be proclaiming the whole counsel of God, speaking the truth, even speaking, if we can, to those in positions of power. But we are not, and again, this is a whole other discussion, but we are not to meddle in civil affairs. I am not equipped... I am not competent in statecraft. There are policy decisions that I may disagree with, but I don't have 
the intelligence, the experience, the knowledge to know what's the right policy, right? So we have to navigate this line. If there's something extraordinary, and we thought that giving gender transition surgery to children is extraordinary, that needs to be addressed. So we did. But there are other things that we don't need to address, every single thing that comes down the pike, you know. His schemes, the devil's schemes, include presenting to our senses things agreeable to the flesh. He'll figure out what you like, where you're weak, and he'll present those things to your flesh. Your weaknesses might be different than mine, but he is a very skilled tempter. And so we understand that God's providence is perfect, and yet we are predisposed to find fault with his government. We grumble, complain. Uh, We foolishly charge him with neglect, contempt. We see this in the example of Job, a blameless man, and yet he struggled, just like the rest of us. He was flesh and blood. So apart from the new birth, we can't know, do submit to God's will, but prone to rebel against it. And the only remedy is the Spirit's gracious power in renewing the dead soul. We request the special regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. There is no hope without the Spirit's power. Jesus himself tells us, It's the sovereign grace of God alone that can enable us to obey his will. You can't even see it if the Spirit doesn't give you a new heart. Any questions on that? Okay. So it qualifies this obedience that we're asking for, this submission and obedience, by comparing it to that in heaven, as the angels do in heaven. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Holy angels and glorified saints obey and submit to God's will perfectly. What's that going to be like when we're sinless? Can you imagine what that's going to be like? We're to do this with humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, sincerity, constancy. There is no temptation, no sin, no deviation at all from righteousness. And so we're asking the Spirit to take away our depravity and to make you and I able and willing to know, do, and submit to His will in all things. When we pray that prayer, that's what we're saying. It's the perfection for which we long, and it is the perfection to which we're obliged as God's image bearers. By his grace, our ultimate destiny will be to be holy and blameless with joy in the presence of his glory, Jude 24 and 25. That's ultimately what will happen. We will be physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually glorified as well as perfected in our obedience. Every inclination of the heart will be righteous, and that continually, every single one. We will love what God loves. We will hate what God hates perfectly. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And it's by his sovereign grace then. Ultimately, it's by his sovereign grace that makes us able, willing to know, do, and submit. We can't do it ourselves. We have to be enabled. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, says Paul, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The very willing itself is a gift from God. So that's what we're praying for. Give us the will to submit and obey and fulfill your will. 
Any questions on that before we move on? John? Sometimes I don't always know the best balance to have between focusing on how we are sinners and focusing on either, either both halves, the, um, the theological half, your sinners, Christ has forgiven you, Christ has forgiveness, and then the kind of instructive half, this is not how you should act, we're going to have a consequence, we're going to have this or that uh, thing because we're not obeying in this way. Yeah, good. The balance. The balance between internal motivation and external behavior, right? That balance and training children, I think, is what you're saying. Yeah. Hey, t- believe me, I wrestle with this every single week. How do I preach a sermon and have that balance? You're sinners. God loves you. <laughs> you know, you don't want to just focus on the sinner because we get depressed. And you don't want to focus just upon God's grace because then it becomes cheap. So it's a hard balance to maintain. I'm, I'm with you. It's not easy. It's not easy, especially with children. But we do want to train their behavior. We cannot change their hearts, but we can train their behavior. And we can inform their conscience. You're a sinner. You're a lawbreaker. You are that by nature. You need Christ. Now let's work on your behavior. You know, He's brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Therefore, obey his law. So it's, it's a hard thing, John. It's a great question. It's really hard. It makes the job of parents especially difficult. Okay, we have time. So, kind of a summary. May God's laws be obeyed. May his dominion cheerfully embraced. That's what we're praying for. By this means, may sin be prevented and human depravity restrained. He is our maker and judge. He's glorified by the obedience of his creatures. It is the highest insult and affront to his majesty if we disobey. If I see in the grocery store a mother and her child, and her mother and the child's mother gives a command, and the child thumbs his nose at his mother and doesn't even try to obey, that is an affront and an insult to her office as of motherhood. You and I both see that. We understand it. It's the same with us and God. One further implication is that God's revealed will must be made known. If we're going to obey his revealed will, we must know it. He's published it in Scripture. He's made it available. We're commanded to search the Scriptures, to examine the Scriptures daily. It's got to be translated into vulgar languages. That's the language of the confession. Vulgar simply meaning it's not the Hebrew. Uh, This is the work that John is involved in, and it's a great work, translating the scriptures into all the world's languages. To know, to believe, and to obey God's revealed will, there must be the inward work of the Spirit. We have the external scriptures. We have the internal work of the Spirit. It's by His illumination that we fully understand That's how we're brought to see the glory and the excellence and the goodness and the beauty of truth. You cannot see a beautiful thing if it's not the Spirit illuminating the truth. It's not beautiful to the unbeliever. Maybe interesting, maybe a bestseller, but it's not beautiful. 
we'll never embrace our obligation to yield unless God does this. So Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of our calling. Any questions? Final comments? Dick? Thinking about developing a wrist bracelet, that's what Jesus is WWJD? Okay. Hey, a great idea, you know. I think somebody beat you to the punch on that one. Well, I know that Ray has an announcement real quick, and then we'll close in prayer. Thank you, Ray, and thank you to the committee. I think it's a great idea. Um, Jim gave the example if you're at a restaurant and you want to give it to a friend or a waitress or somebody, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So uh, they did a great job on this. You call it a pamphlet? Is that what you call it, Ray, a pamphlet? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be going into, after we're done with the catechism, human sexuality and evangelism next. So Jason and I are going to tag team again. He'll do two weeks on human sexuality. I'll do two weeks in evangelism. Two, 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 two. So this is going to be really helpful and, and relevant. Let's close in prayer. Father, we're thankful to you that you have decreed all things according to infinite wisdom. And you are good. And you've revealed to us the things that we are to believe and obey. And we pray that you'll help us to know and to do and to submit to your will in all things. Please prepare us now for worship, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.